Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Higher Learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel and Lindsay. Van. Rachel. For people watching and, you know, for people listening, they're going to be able to be spared from this so they don't have to deal with this. But what is on your shoulder and why? What's on my shoulder is big gold championship <laughs> belt. See Bozeman right here on the side plate. That's cute. But why? Why do you have this champion sh- champion of what? I am the number one voice in pro wrestling media. Who bought you that? I bought it for myself. Even worse. Why? <laughs> it's like why buying your worse? own trophy. It's like buying your own trophy. Who who <laughs> deemed you? This is self-proclaimed because I've I did. I mean, I know you're into wrestling, but the number one voice in wrestling. Were you at the Royal Rumble? I wasn't. That what it's I, called? I watched it. I watched it Saturday night. I would like to congratulate well, Cody Rhodes for winning the Royal Rumble second time. How dare as they many years. leave out the number one voice in media? That doesn't make any. When it comes, excuse me, the number one voice in wrestling mm-hmm. media. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. How it do doesn't. you feel? Uh, I, I don't. I feel fine. Like to be honest with you, it's not about accolades that you farm from somebody else. It's about what you believe about yourself, how you comport yourself, how you are as a champion and what you sacrifice to be a champion. See, someone like me wakes up a champion. I go to bed a champion. (laughs) The middle of the day, I am a champion. I am the number one voice in wrestling media because I am the number one worker in wrestling media. I am the number one contributor to wrestling media. I am the number one sacrificer for wrestling media. I have the number one mindset, the number one work ethic, the number one spirit, the number one sense of importance. I am the number one voice in wrestling media. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. It doesn't matter what anyone else does. All that it matters is that they Follow me. This is your thing of the month. I can't wait to see what February brings. You won't be talking about this February. And I dare you to hold that up on your shoulder this entire podcast. It will be held up on my shoulder the whole podcast because I can't help but win. That is the... Oh! Oh, shit! I didn't expect that. What? Jesus. Do we have competition? (laughs) (laughs) Ashley, explain yourself. I bought it for a friend, but then I got into wrestling, so I took it. Boom! This is num- This is now the number one no. wrestling <laughs> podcast <laughs> in the world. The number Ashley, one wrestling podcast in the world. Ashley, as a fan of wrestling, do you look to Van's voice as the number one voice in wrestling? No. Yes. There you go. Her first Look. answer. Her first answer. It doesn't matter. You know what? You know what? Hold on. This is what I'll do. Because dissension is your number one goal. You're an attorney. And so you're always trying to manipulate law, manipulate people's brains and their minds and their perspectives. This is what so I'll do. So not sure. What? Ashley and I, we are the number one team in wrestling media. She is number one. I am number one. See, the bloodline have this thing. It's called the table. There's the head at the table, seats at the table, 
Shout out to the Usos. Shout out to Roman Reigns. Shout out to The Rock, who might try to take the seat at the table at WrestleMania, where Cody is not going to challenge him. Here's the thing. We have our own table here. And Rachel, their seat's available. What you have to decide for yourself, Rachel Lindsay, <laughs> is whether you will sit with us. <laughs> Join up or get trampled over. Your choice. I'm going to respectfully decline. Mm-hmm. I bet you will. Well, I mean, with a person like Vince McMahon leading the uh, the World Wrestling, mm, 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 mm. what is it, Federation? What is he over? I don't think I want to be affiliated with the sport. It's tough. That man's been in power way too long. He's well, been it's over now. For it's over now. They got him out. They got him out. They got him out. Well, <laughs> let's not forget, you brought to my attention when we were going down one of our YouTube journeys of him saying the N-word. Vince McMahon? Yeah. Uh, my. Yeah. Donnie, could you play it? What's up, boss? <laughs> How you doing? Yeah. What's good in the hood? Just holding it down, trying to take care of business. Keep it up. I'm a nigga. That's wrestling for you. What? That's so the man at the top. That's that's all of he's wrestling. He's the Trump of now. wrestling. He's a Trump that's of all, he's sexual assault. Yes, he's the Trump. Of, he's definitely the Trump of wrestling. Racism, so, sexual assault. This is. I don't want to be affiliated with this. I already have to deal with this in the country we live in. Well, see, this kind I'm not of shows to make my hobby part me, of that too. This kind of shows to me that you don't understand because you're associating all of wrestling. With the WWE, there's All Elite Wrestling, there's New Japan Pro Wrestling, there's wrestling factions all over the place. Wrestling cannot be summed up by one guy. Even if that guy's contributions to wrestling are paramount, it can't be one man. It's not one man. It's not one entity. It's one feeling. It's the feeling of drama and athleticism that go into the squared circle every time the gladiators step inside the ring, Rachel. It's the storylines. <laughs> It's the winning, it's the losing, it's the spectacle, it's the pageantry. That's what it is. And it demands a voice like mine to come in and contextualize for the contemptible people out there like yourself what it means to be a grappler. You're more happy with the grappy. And I'll say it right now and stand on it right now. Wrestling is here to stay. Everything is wrestling. Everything is a work. Everything is a shoot. Everything is kayfabe. And I'm going to let you know that by the end, by WrestleMania, which is in April, April 4th, you will be sitting at the table. Okay, let's move on. You know, that's enough. That's enough. Keep it let's up. I'm a nigga. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you know what, Donnie? Since you want to jump on Rachel's side. <laughs> since you want to jump on Rachel's side, Donnie, since that's, since that's what you want to do, let's go ahead and talk about it. Rachel, did you watch football this weekend? I'm 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 in Naples, Florida, mm -hmm. so I'm on a little bit of a vacation. But of course, it's going to make time for the podcast. I I did not sit down and just watch the games. I probably saw more of the um, AFC game. And to be very honest, I got a little discouraged because I wanted the Ravens to win. So then yeah. I felt nothing watching the NFC championship game because I was like, it's already ruined my Super Bowl. And the two teams I did not want to win won. So it is so I watch I watch a little bit and read uh read up on what I missed. 
Pretty uh, we missed you at the house. So if in case you guys don't know, we do uh, the AFC and NFC championship games. Championship Sunday every year. Rachel's a mainstay. She needed some time off this year, so she wasn't there. But shout out to everybody that came. Molly was there. The Midnight Boys were there. Alexis was there. Our friend Bianca was there. Shout out to Bianca. Um, uh, Bianca Lawson. Like so many other people stopped by and, and we hung out. We hung out the whole day. We ate. We watched football. And we were greatly disappointed with what we saw in both games. <laughs> <laughs> The, like, the worst game for the Lions and the Ravens. I mean, they didn't look like two teams that should have been in an NFC and AFC championship. It really was bad from, from playing to coaching. It just was bad. I wouldn't say that necessarily about the Lions. The Lions played oh. as well as you could possibly play early. And then they played... But, football's four quarters. I understand that. But then late, <laughs> they just made every single type of mistake that you can make to throw it away. Donnie, jump on right now. Let's talk about how you're feeling. Yeah, we kind of played how we play all season. It's like we start off strong first half, we come out flat third quarter, and then we normally finish strong in the fourth quarter and we overcome those mistakes that we made and we just didn't this time. And I honestly wouldn't blame Dan Campbell either because I feel like he made the same either. calls that he would have made all season. Those fourth, uh, fourth down calls were, I thought, good and they just weren't executed. We had a bunch of drop passes and some fluky stuff. Um, but I mean, honestly, it, it hurts. It did hurt. Like my knee jerk reaction was disappointment and hurt. And I still kind of am, but I, I feel like Lions fans know how to deal with hurts more than anything. So I, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> like immediately after the game, we I switched it up to, uh, uh, Netflix and started watching, um, uh, Love on the Spectrum, which is amazing. It's like ultimate feel-good TV. It gave me like some good perspective and I felt like this kind of hurt that I'm feeling is honestly the kind of hurt that Lions fans have kind of been wanting for the longest time, having a deep playoff run, almost making it to the Super Bowl and just falling short, but still having hope for the future. We got a young core. We got a good coach. We're, we have a program, not a program because we're not a college. We have a we are we built something that I feel like a bunch of teams are trying or going to try to emulate, which is something that the Lions have done forever and ever. And I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Michigan's national champs. Nigga, we almost that was some of good. the fucking most prodigious cope I have ever heard before in my life. <laughs> hey man. Like Don, Donnie, like I said, I, Lions, first, Lions fan at heart. First of all, Donnie, <laughs> let me tell you something. The Lions, even though they sold out yesterday in like a magnificent way, they sold. They sold. They sold in a magnificent way. Reynolds, my brother. Woo! Woo! Reynolds. That's, tough. That's a tough, 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 tough break for you, brother. Had got a case of the dropsies at the wrong time. I don't think that Dan Campbell's decisions were the reason that they lost the game, to your point. There was some bad execution there. And then Brock Purdy went uh, Vanilla Vic and just kind of took the game into the, it, 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 he took the game from the Lions. Uh, but Lions fans have a lot to to look forward to in the future. I, I will say the loss for the Ravens is devastating. It's a devastating so loss. Bad. Like it the loss of the Ravens so is devastating. It's devastating for the Ravens. It's devastating for Lamar Jackson's reputation. It's That's a devastating loss for the Ravens. And the way that they lost with the Zay Flowers fumble right at the one yard line. Yeah. Right after play. he taunted Sneed. 
right yeah. after he taunted, you know what I mean, <laughs> with Lamar throwing into triple coverage. There could have been a pass interference call on the Odell Beckham play before. There could have been a pass interference call on the throw into triple coverage. But even so, the mistake was there. They used the spy on Lamar Jackson, and that might have affected his ability to scramble, but still he wasn't taking the opportunities to get yards. That was a devastating loss if you are a Baltimore Ravens fan. No way around But this... But this is what I mean. It seems like they weren't making, the Ravens weren't making the adjustments, right? Lamar Jackson has seemed untouchable all year. And then he was scrambling, getting sacked. Like their defense had so many penalties. It just felt like they just came there and just thought they had, I don't know. It's like they didn't try. It just looks so bad. It looks yeah. so bad. It's disappointing. I'm so we disappointed. Are, yeah, every most people are outside of the, San Francisco fans and Chiefs fans because, I mean, who wants this matchup right now? Uh, it's it's The NFL. This is the best matchup for the NFL. I feel like Lions-Chiefs would have been the best matchup. You got uh, like a, a good Cinderella story and then you got Taylor Swift cutaways all game. Like, that's they wanted, they wanted Taylor Swift and they wanted, to be honest with you, wanted Taylor Swift and I think they want the 49ers back. It's a big time football. That's a good argument, though, whether or not they would want the 49ers or the Lions. The Lions are such a great story, but the 49ers are such a blue blood NFL franchise that, you know, I think they like having them up top. Uh, kind of reminds them of the old days. But look, Donnie, you're in the middle of it. Like This football nirvana for you. Yeah, I'm uh, doing good. So Lions went deep, deep, Pause. deep. And then, um, you know, you have the Michigan National Championship. Harbaugh left. Your thoughts? I haven't got your thoughts on that. Uh, I kind of saw it coming with the way that the season went, the NCAA situation, um, and then the way that they kind of had Sharon Moore coach these big games. It was clear they had a plan. Um, so, yeah, I'm just hoping that Sharon Moore can cut down on the cringe and keep the ball rolling with the program, and we'll be good. And, I mean, also the Pistons won last night, so we're good. Everything's good. Donnie, I hope for you, my hope for your Lions is that y'all don't become the Cowboys. Oh, no. You got don't a put lot that on of us, hope. Ricky Bobby. This is what I'm just going to say. There's a lot of hope now because y'all made it this far. And I know where that hope can take you. I've been hoping for 27 years, 28 now. <laughs> They're already not I the Cowboys. They made the NFC Championship. The Cowboys don't uh, do that. I'm just the saying. The Cowboys using the first the, and second round. No, 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 no. I'm not comparing it right now. What I'm saying is they have a good solid team. They made it far. They almost made it. They didn't. And I would just hate for y'all to continue to hold on to that like we have. I'm rooting yeah. for you. Yeah, I appreciate I'm rooting. that. <laughs> All right. Um, Sports Corner is wrapped up. Sports Corner! Um, we got to talk about the biggest beef in Are we right watching now. the Super Bowl? We got to figure that out. We do. We do. Should we I host? Should. We could, we could I, bring the same crew to my house. I would love that. We should go Let's to your house. Same crew. Although. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll rent a place. Who knows? Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. We're going to take a break. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about rap beef. Female rap beef. Felines at each other's necks. Rawr, rawr, rawr. All right. That's right. Nicki Minaj, Megan The Stallion, Beacon. Mm -hmm. Two tracks came out. Man, just a lot of mess 
over the last couple of days? Have you heard both songs? Um, I have heard both songs, yes. Yes. So Friday, Megan Thee Stallion released Hiss. Uh, <laughs> and she lyrically attacked Nicki Minaj. A couple of different things that she said. Well, yeah, she attacked a lot of, quite a few people. Okay, well, who do you feel like was attacked in the song? Drake. Mm-hmm. Drake, who else? Well, then I think Tori. Okay, Tori. Party. Um, possibly her, the CEO of, what was it, 1501, whatever that whatever that record company that she was with before. Carl uh, Charles Carl Crawford. Yeah. Um, who else? Pretty much anybody who hated on her and did not believe her when she, you know, claimed that, not claimed, she was shot in foot um, in general, but specifically those people. You don't, now, you didn't, you didn't think that? No, there was a lot of people that were addressing okay. the song. The song was hiss. So it was her, I guess, taking her power back. It. And addressing a lot of the things that have been said about her, said to her, and um, just a lot of the talk around her, you know, recently. And that's, honestly, you guys, that's what rappers do. That's what musicians do. I think about songs like Michael Jackson, Leave Me Alone. You know, I think about songs by Prince Controversy. I think about people that are controversial, I have a lot of people talking about them that are musicians and they typically put that stuff in their music and that's what we want. We want them to address the stuff in their music so we get a better sense of who they are. Yes, we uh, do. Now, in this song, she, there was one line that was fucking ridiculous, like super hard. She said, these hoes don't be mad at Megan. These hoes mad at Megan's law. As soon as I heard that, I was like, fuck. And that's because I know what Megan's law is. Megan's law is the federal law that requires the release of relevant information to protect the public from sexually violent offenders. Now, a lot of people thought when they heard that, that that was a shot at Nicki Minaj's husband, Kenneth Petty, who is a registered sex offender. Now, that is not us throwing shade. That is not us getting in anybody's family. That is a fact of record that probably played into this bar. Mm -hmm. Kenneth Petty was 16. He pled guilty to alleged rape. That was 1994. Now, attempted rape. Attempted rape, should I say. Uh, Barry, thank you for that. Now, as soon as Nicki Minaj heard this, uh, she was nonplussed. She started fucking going off. Donnie, Unhinged. Play a bit of, so play a little bit of Nicki. <laughs> Fragment, fragment, uh, scat, fragment, foot. Bullet fragment, foot, bitch. Mm -hmm. Bullet fragment, bullet fragment, bitch. She a bullet fragment, bullet fragment, bitch. Now listen here, ho. Get up on your good foot. Bitch, I said get up on your good foot, not your bad foot. Fuck was that, a diss or a piss? Said it was his, I said piss, that my fans called it piss. Yo nigga, bitch, said all that shit about you, hoe. Yo ex nigga that just was around you all that, y'all mad because y'all don't have somebody that loves you and stand 10 toes down behind you. So you bringing up 30 year old teeth from when this child, when this man was a 15 year old person, child. You bringing up 30 year old teeth cause no man has ever and will ever fucking love you. 
and lying on your dead mother. On your dead mama. On your dead mama. Lied on a dead mama. Lied on a dead mama. Lied on a dead mama. Shit. As I said, unhinged. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, um, and Nikki stayed on it. Nikki stayed on it for as Nikki, she does. Nikki still, <laughs> <laughs> and the Barb's. Nikki, the Barb's probably are the most lo loyal fan base in all of music standship. They were with Nikki. They ran all Nikki songs up to the top of iTunes. Uh, they. It, they just uh, unwavering support for Nicki Minaj. No matter what happens, the Barb's have her back. They're not going anywhere. So it's going to be difficult to put an actual dent in who Nicki Minaj is because she probably has. She's. I think it's the most loyal fan base in all of a uh, stan base in all of music. Both of the songs you heard them. Nicki then came back with uh, Bigfoot, which mm -hmm. uh, was a diss to Megan. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the Bigfoot stuff that dropped. It dropped last night. And uh, you, you could hear it being created even in the background of that Instagram clip. And she just goes on to say in Bigfoot that um, you know, Megan's a hoe and she says she's throwing a lot of people under the bus. She talks about Tory Lanez. She says that she's lied on her mother. If you guys don't know, uh, Meg lost her mom some time ago. So I think it was cancer. Brain tumor, yeah. Brain yeah. tumor, yeah. So she brought up her mom and she says that that's fair game because... Meg attacked her family so she can attack Meg's family. A lot of people were outraged when they heard that. But then Nicki Minaj says, hey, if family's on uh, on the table, then I can say anything about your family. Uh, both songs came out. I, I gotta admit, you know, I heard Hiss. I thought Hiss was cool. A lot of people, I heard Bigfoot. Bigfoot seems like a song that was pretty rushed, like a song that had to be put out right away to address the beef. It, it's not the best rap song I've ever heard. And a lot of people that I've heard it have probably felt the same. The Barbs are loving it, but People have heard Bigfoot. There's not much that goes into it, but it it does seem like in the song, well, not seem like, actually in the song, she promises more if Meg continues. So it's not like she had like a long time to put the song together. She's probably promising more uh, if Meg continues. Yeah, she said if Meg lies, she's going to put out five more songs if she says anything to it. Here's, yeah, if I'm comparing the songs, Hiss was better. Obviously, this, she spent more time on it, you know, like she prepared it. She, who knows how much time. So, yes, Nikki's Bigfoot is a response to that. I'm with you at the beginning of what you were talking about in regards to things happen in artists' everyday lives and in the media, and they don't necessarily address it, but they do it through their art, right? And we see that in multiple, in a, it's not just music. We just see that period and what, what artists do. And a for, it's a form of expression. I'm for it. Where I get lost is all the stuff that Nikki's doing in between. I, I'm more for the creative expression, not necessarily the low blows um, in regards to talking about someone who's died, talking about, I don't know, just the appearance of someone. It just seems like the low hanging fruit and just all the in-between talk and getting on Instagram. It's like, put it in, you know, like you're frustrated, you're upset, you know, you feel like you were attacked, put it through music or writing or an interview or something. I don't, I, I don't know. I also feel like this is, this happened. This is not the first time it is with Maggie, Megan and Nikki in regards to these diss tracks, but um, not the first time that 
Nikki has gone off because of the way people come at her husband. And it happened, right? It's a record. And I just mean Nikki, nobody is saying that Nikki isn't happy, that Nikki's man doesn't love her, that they don't have a supportive relationship. But I just feel like, aren't you tired yet of always having to go off on somebody bringing up what actually happened? You know, you, this, your husband is on record for this. It's a fact that you were going to have to address or that was going to be affiliated you with you when you decided to marry this man. And so she just gets so outraged anytime it's brought up, but it's true. At least as, as at least as far as a record the record is concerned. So I just wish she would just stop. You know? And and, and to Megan's point, bringing up talking about Megan's law, I can't imagine being the parent of Megan the seven-year-old who was raped and murdered in what was it, 94, 96, 94, and having your daughter's name trend again in this kind of way. Mm. So some criticism for Megan Thee Stallion right there for involving that. You think that's too low to put in the rap beef song? I think it's, I think it was like, sure. You, you want to give yourself points for being creative, but like, did you consider that a family has suffered who lost their young child in a horrific way? And because of that, they had to create Megan's law. And now your daughter, this daughter, cause everybody's Googling, Oh, Megan's law. What does that mean? Not everybody might've been familiar with that. It was enacted 30 years ago or 30 plus 30 ish years ago. So I just think that that was kind of, it wasn't done in good taste either. Was it considerate of who all it impacted? Now, are you familiar with rap beef? Yeah, enough. Uh, this is how it goes. Yeah, I'm not. I said I don't like the in between. I don't like the going on Instagram and stuff. I said that's not for me. I like it when it comes in a creative form of expression. Hmm. This is what I would say. First of all, a couple of things. One, that's interesting. It's interesting that I hadn't actually thought about, because I hadn't heard anyone have criticism or uh, have criticism of Mexican because of that. I hadn't heard anyone say that. But that's actually interesting. And I, I don't disagree. I'm just saying that in a rap beef, particularly one that's this high profile and nasty, you know, especially now. I, rap beef used to be my era of rap beef. There was always a little bit of, I'm going to expose you type of shit. There was always a little bit of it, right? Sure. So, I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker. But all of that stuff, I mean, seriously, uh, Jay-Z in, um, in uh, like, on the blueprint. Why is this song? Takeover. It, Jay-Z on Takeover. You know what did, you know what to, you know who. Let's keep that between me and you. He was talking about the fact that he had, had a sexual relationship with the Nas's baby's mother. And then Nas came back with either. Uh, Negro, Jay's, please. What? Yeah. Tap Jay's jaw a little bit. Yeah. Negro, please. You know, must a have little bit. Like, right? Yeah, he fucked, he fucked Jay up. And then after he fucked Jay up, then Jay comes back with super ugly and with the infamous, I left condoms on your baby seat and the whole nine. And, you know, and now his pride was hurt. So the gloves came completely off. And that song is probably indefensible. So there's always been some level of this. Right. But sure. when it, when it used to be done. It was really more about the interplay between the two rappers. Like when Big is talk when when Pac is talking to Big, I fucked your bitch. He's giving people an insight into why they're not getting along, right? Uh, mm-hmm. This is what happens. This is how we're connected. Blah 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 blah. You're jealous of me. You've stole my style. All of that. Even with Hove 
announce. Like, there's this sort of incestuous New York relationship between these two rappers, and the songs are really exploring their backstory and where this beef actually comes from, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm saying you've been obsessed with me since the beginning of my career. You sampled my voice and all of this other stuff that's said on Ether. Jay-Z talking about who Nas should have been, who Nas was, and all of that. It was just a little bit more clever and more substantive. Really, as much as I like this, the person who changed this was actually Pusha. Because the story of Adonan as biting as it actually is, it's really kind of a gossip fest for X amount of time <laughs> about what's going on in Drake's personal life. You know, there are obviously parts in the song that are direct criticisms of Drake, and I, I guess they all are in terms of whether or not Drake is who, is who he says he is. But really, it was just a lot of, this is what you really did. Let me expose you to the whole world so people can decide whether or not they still want to fuck with you. Um, and that's kind of what's going on here. The thing is, rap beef to me, I don't particularly like it or dislike it. It's a part of hip hop, but it normally elevates the music that we get. It really does. You got classic records that come out of rap beef. Some of the most classic records. You got No Vaseline. You got Hit Em Up. You got Mama Said Knock You Out. You got yes. Ether. You got you got Sheether. You got are all these th- classes? I mean, are these um, classics? Neither one of the these records. Neither one of these records is a classic. It's like... I know. And so <laughs> that's the only thing. When I look at it, it's like, I get that these women don't like each other for reasons that are really driven by Nicki Minaj and how she feels about other female rappers. The reason why they're even beefing in the first place doesn't make a whole ton of sense. It's about who did a song with whom and, you know, Hot Girl Summer was done with Nicki Minaj and the song was, I guess, okay. And then... You go do WAP with Cardi B, who Nicki Minaj doesn't like. That song becomes a gigantic hit. And now there's got to be some type of animus between these two women. It's cool. Rap beef is normally something that is uh, that is celebrated in rap, but it normally leads to great rap music, which this is going to probably lead to a lot of mess. But it remains it to be has. seen yeah. whether or not it's going to lead to great rap music. And if rap beef doesn't lead to great rap music, it's meaningless. If yeah, it doesn't mean to, is, to great records, it doesn't mean nothing. And that's what I mean. Like, it, it, Nikki said that if she lies, she's going to put out five more songs. Okay. But she also said, I have receipts and I'm going to show them. Well, that's taking it outside of, you know, creative expression. I don't want to see the receipts. I want to hear you rap about it. That's one thing. I don't know. To be determined if Megan's going to respond whether she likes an Instagram live as well. So who knows if she's going to respond that way, if she's going to do another song or she's just going to let it be. Mm. I thought you, her, I thought her disses to Drake were more, were better than uh, the one that she did to uh, Nikki. But we'll see. I mean, Meg has been under a lot of criticism. She has. It was only a matter of time before she, kind of bit back at everybody that had been throwing shots at her. She's been under a tremendous right. amount of pressure for the last X amount of years. You got the Tory trial. You got everybody else poking and prodding into her own You got your life. ex telling all your business. You got all <laughs> kinds of stuff. So, you know, Meg was going to hit back at some time. She hit back. She opened the door and now we'll see who closes it. As far as the specific point about Nicki Minaj and her ex-husband and his, excuse me, her husband and his, his, his past. I mean, it is all true, but still, 
I mean, it being true doesn't mean that she can't be mad that it's being thrown in her face. You gonna, she gonna be mad a lot. Do you mm. see what I'm saying? Like that's, I guess that's what I'm saying. When it first came out, you addressed it, um, and I think you just let it be. I believe you when you say you're happy. I believe you that you have a husband that loves on you. So like, it is what it is. You decided to marry him knowing this about his past. So just, you already said it once. You can't be, I mean, you can, but I just find she's going to be exhausted because this isn't going to be the last time somebody's going to talk about it. Major, major tonal shift right now. We'll see what happens. Y'all mm. love mess. So there's going to be more mess that comes from this. And we like rap beef. We like rap beef. The reason why we like rap beef is because there's always been rap beef. If you ever get into rap, when you're getting into it, rap beef is a part of it. Now, if we want to have a, a, a cultural conversation about whether or not rap beef serves us, then we can. But to me, as long as it doesn't get violent, as no, long as nobody gets shot, as long as no one gets harmed, there's nothing wrong with it. As rappers been doing no. it for a long time. The, but the music... The music to me has to be the thing that determines whether or not a rap beef is 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 worth it or not. If you get great music out of it, that's fine. Everybody come back. Drake and Meek went back and forth. No animals were harmed in the making of this film. Okay? And so they, they didn't come back and they fucking playing ping pong together. They all records together. So it was fine. Um, quick update. Something has happened. Something that's pretty major. UNRWA's staff. UNRWA which is the organization that has, is responsible for doling out aid to Palestine. Um, the UN Relief and Works Agency, UNRWA, it's a social work, uh, social organization, has been accused by Israel, according to a dossier drawn up by Israel, uh, for having members inside of its body that aided or were supportive of the October 7th terrorist attacks, the horrific terrorist attacks that killed 1,200 Israelis and sparked um, a lot of the regional unrest that we see over there now. Uh, now, uh, the allegations here are that 12 members of UNRWA are alleged by Israel to have taken part in those attacks. And as a result of those claims, the United States and the UK have suspended Funding to UNRWA. Now, UNRWA is responsible for so many different things that uh, uh, go on in Palestine, but particularly getting aid to the people, food, water, things of that nature to the people there. And it is one of the most important organizations in terms of doling out that humanitarian aid. There's over, I think, I'm going to make sure that I get this right. Donnie, look at up. Five How million, many, like five, over five million people five that million, it serves. Five million people that it serves. What, what, I was yeah. gonna, what, what, what I was more asking is, Donnie, look it up. I think there's over 30,000 or it might be 15,000. I'm not sure the numbers. Uh, people that work for UNRWA. People that oh, work with okay. the organization. Yes, Donnie, look that up. Look it up real quick for me. How many actual people work as a part of UNRWA uh, and what percentage 12 people makes up uh, in terms of um, in terms of their staff. Now, these are allegations that Israel has made. Uh, the evidence of these allegations has not yet been made available. Israel mm -hmm. says it has the intelligence and it has the information, but 
Uh, to my knowledge, at this particular time that we're recording, that information hasn't been made available to anyone so they can independently verify the veracity of the claims that Israel is making. Once again, Israel is, al- is alleging and has alleged for some time that there were terrorist organizations acting inside of UNRWA and that UNRWA is decidedly anti-Israel that has made the United States and the UK suspend support for UNRWA. And Austria and Romania, uh, Romania, should I say, said that they are also suspending funds to UNRWA. And UNRWA said it would not be able to continue operating in Gaza and across the region beyond the end of February if the funding did not resume. UNRWA is about 1,200 employees, about 1,200 people, excuse me, 12,000 employees, about 12,000 employees work with UNRWA. The, there were 12 employees that were singled out for having direct links to um, Hamas and terrorism. Uh, nine of the 12 accused workers have been fired um, and condemned for abhorrent alleged acts. We still don't know exactly like what's going on. Uh, and so nine of the 12 workers have been fired. 12,000 total employees, 12 people. It's it's actually roughly 13,000, depending on where you get it. Uh, so the funding has been suspended. Now, according to Wall Street Journal, Israeli intelligence uh, that's been shared with the U.S. claims that there are 1,200 members of the U.S. agency that are members of Hamas or Islamic Jihad. And that number would be closer to about 10% of UNRWA staff. But the initial information that people are acting on is this 12 people. The question is, and it's a robust question. It's a question that everyone that's listening to this podcast right now should be asking, uh, is if there are people that are inside this organization that are uh, sympathetic or working with terrorist organizations, should the entire thing be defunded? Does that constitute collective punishment to uh, a bunch of Palestinian um, human beings that is outlawed by international law, collective punishment is? Is that moral from a humanitarian standpoint to stop aid? Us, the United States, is part of this. Yeah. Because they might be bad actors inside of a UN aid organization. Yeah. Um, No. I don't think that this constitutes suspending funding. And I'm actually a little surprised that they jumped to do this so quickly with so many people being critical within our country, being critical of how the Biden administration has handled their response um, to what has happened in regards to the Palestinian refugees. And this doesn't look good in that regard. If you're looking at it as a human, excuse me, a humanitarian issue, which a lot of people are. The United States, Canada, Australia, Finland, Japan, um, Italy, I'm naming these off the top of my head, are also countries who have, there's at least 10 who have pulled their funding in regards to this information coming out, which I know it's a report from Israel. I'm not sure how much it's been confirmed, but to answer your question, this UNRWA has existed since 1949 and it was established for a particular reason 
as you said, you named some of those things, but it provides education, healthcare, social service, aid, in addition to running schools for half a million students. It serves people not just in Gaza, also in the West Bank and Jordan and in Lebanon. It clearly has existed for a long time and has been extremely beneficial to Palestinian refugees. To take this away based on this report is to me counterproductive. What does need to happen is if there are people who are particularly working with terrorists, they absolutely need to be identified. They need to be not just fired, especially if they were uh, participating in what happened with October 7th. They need to be prosecuted. Something else needs to happen. But to deny people who actually need this aid because of some corrupt individuals. Imagine if we did that for everything. You got corrupt people everywhere. And I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying, imagine if you said, well, we're just not going to fund this anymore because there's corruption in this. No, you need to figure out the problem, get to the root of it. So then, and then continue this that has been helping people for such a long time. Mm. Uh, so, like I said before, there have been longstanding tensions between UNRWA and Israel. Israel has accused UNRWA in the past of... Uh, um, having schools, hospitals, things like that, that it runs, be used for uh, storing Hamas weapons, being um, uh, places where Hamas would jump off attacks from. You know, uh, one of the uh, uh, most stalwart claims that Israel makes is that Hamas uses civilian centers, schools, hospitals, churches, things like that as command posts and to use them as command posts uh, validates them sometimes as military targets or that they are looking to force the people of Gaza, the people of uh, um, South Gaza, North Gaza, to martyr themselves in order to uh, further their cause by making Israel look like this kind of super aggressive uh, state that doesn't care about civilian casualties. I think we're up to around 20 6,000 people that have been killed in this. And the number of children is getting close to, I think, 11,000 people that have been killed. 85% of the Gaza Strip has been displaced. Netanyahu has gone on record by saying that he rejects the idea of a two-state solution. Rejecting the idea of the two-state solution means, in my opinion, uh, that uh, the Palestinians will live in... Um, a prolonged occupation there. It rejects mm -hmm. any, in my opinion, rejects any notion that there can be anything other than Israeli power that governs the region. Um, and that was a breathtaking statement for him to make in, in the way that he made it. President Biden then said, hey, I talked to him. Two-state solution is still on the table. And Netanyahu came back out and said, no, from hmm. the river to the sea, he said, not me, from the river to the sea, he says Israel needs control and that's the only way that Israel will be safe. Uh, so look, I think what this actually proves is that the United States, despite any reports that you hear come from behind the scenes, beside, uh, despite anything that you hear from anyone that would tell you about how displeased the administration is about what's going on, about the carnage that's existing right now, not just in Gaza, but in the West Bank, where there was actually a U.S. citizen killed uh, not too long ago, a kid from New Orleans, 
that had gone over there mm. was killed by either the IDF or a settler was shot there. Um, what this says is that despite any other stuff that you would hear about how uncomfortable that is for the Biden administration or for the brass in the U.S. leading up to the elections in later this year, or just their uncomfortability with the amount of carnage that they're seeing, that they are not yet ready to, in a public way, break or uh, prioritize, break from Israel or prioritize what I believe to be humanitarian efforts in any way that would make Israel uncomfortable. Uh, but this particular situation, what you're really looking at is allegations and perhaps some truth. Perhaps there's some truth to that. I'm sure that in an organization this big that deals directly with the Palestinians, that you have some people there who have anti-Israel uh, attitudes and that might share some ideological kinship with Hamas or Islamic Jihad or any of the other entities there that are more militant that don't really want peace in the region. It, it's a lot of people. So there are probably some people in there that believe that. But I think what you would have to consider is the goal of what UNRWA is doing. If the goal of what UNRWA is doing is hospitals and schools and all of that type of stuff, then what does it mean to not fund that? Exactly. What does it mean to step away from that? Like who actually suffers because of that. And I think you also have to think about that in terms of the ongoing military aid that you send over to Israel. I mean, no one would believe that you would want somebody to live next door to terrorists. Like I wouldn't mm -hmm. want to live next door to terrorists. I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to live next door to terrorists. I wouldn't want to live next door to someone who I thought was trying to kill me, right? The question then becomes, are all the Palestinians terrorists? Because to go through there with a meat cleaver instead of a scalpel and just devastate every single thing that exists on the other side of that line, you'd almost have to believe that all of them are terrorists. You'd have to believe that they were all human animals. You'd have to believe that all of them were worthy of being burned up by white phosphorus, having their homes destroyed and their legs blown off. And if you believe that, well, then you go about it the way it's being go gone about. And if you're the United States and you have no problem with that, then you fund it. And this is not me talking directly about anything cultural. This is talking about state actors in a situation of incredible complexity, mm -hmm. both ideologically and militarily. I get that. But we're talking about like what we demand and the standard that we hold states to that we are allies with. So I think the United States, once again, and this is not, a, it's like, you know, it's not going to, shock anyone, the United States, once again, has made a decision. Like They made a decision about how they look at things. And our relationship with Israel is paramount. Um, and it's more important than what this decision might actually mean for Palestinian people. Last thing I'll say about this. Is, it, is there a chance? Because remember, until the end of February, you have. So that's uh, like a, another month like a month and a little bit, that they'll be able to operate. Is it possible that pulling the funding right now is supposed to be lighting a fire un under UNRWA's ass to figure out what who the bad actors inside of this organization are? So we're, Maybe. We're, 
Maybe. 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 And maybe that is a tactic. That's interesting. I didn't think of it that way. It could be a tactic where we're always going to come back, but we need to fix. This is our way of fixing the problem. We need you guys to do a little housekeeping and find out who the more militant actors inside of your organization are. Uh, And we're making sure that, you know, we're, we're pleasing Netanyahu and the Likuds and all of that by doing that. My question is, what would be the move then? What would be the move then to implore Israel to have a little bit more of a humanitarian mindset in its operations in Gaza? What would then be the move if the move here, if it's in, if it's really important here to uproot the bad actors inside of UNRWA before you can stand next to UNRWA? The question is, how important is it to make Israel as a nation show restraint and care to an entire population of people, an entire population of people, when it's going on its bombing campaign and its ground offensive in Gaza? What would you do to make them root out either the bad actors, the people who don't want peace, or uh, the, the military aggression that's destroying so many lives? What would be the what would be the steps that you took on that side of it? And are you prepared to take any steps? And are taking steps, the, the, is that even on the table? So that would be the question that I would ask. I was, that was a lot of questions. (laughs) I was trying to follow follow what you said. A lot of questions. Those are questions. Those are questions for the Israeli government is what you're saying. No, those are questions for us. Like we clearly saw, like, so, and for the West, right? We clearly looked at, at least, you know, if you take this information at face value, right? We clearly looked at UNRWA and said, okay, if there's any chance that UNRWA is infected with the pernicious element inside of its organization, that means the death and destruction of Jews and Israelis, then we don't want to fund that. Right. The question is, have we paid that same critical eye hmm. to the operations in Gaza and how things go on the West Bank as it relates to our Israeli allies? Are we willing to say, look, if you guys aren't operating in good faith and to the standards sure. of not a terrorist organization like Hamas is, but uh, a Western, demo- oh, not Western democracy, but a democracy, a liberal democracy in that region, if you guys are not operating to those standards, well, we're prepared to either not fund you or do this or that. Are we holding them to the same standard, the oh. Israeli state to the same standard that we're holding yeah. UNRWA to? So that's what I would say. Well, no, no. I mean, we're not, obviously, by what was historically and even what's happening now. But that's kind of what I was alluding to when I, or not alluding, what I said when I said, if you're going to do, if this is how you're going to act when you have corrupt people in some type of organization, and you're going to say, well, we're just going to not fund it because we're going to shut it down. Then you have to have that same energy for everything else. And if you do, we ain't going to have anything left because there's so many corrupt people involved in all of this stuff. So mm, it's a good question. It won't be answered. Can I, uh, can, I, can I slip a topic in on you? It depends. Am I going to be in the mood for this? It's a legal eagle topic. What is it? Just listen. 
Don't dismiss the legal eagle. Rachel, can I ask you a question? Do you do you you don't like legal eagle, do you? You don't you don't enjoy talking about No, I'm not even jumping on that. Just go go ahead and give it to me, Van. No, I'm not saying I do. Oh, be careful. Oh my gosh. Do you do do you I don't mind it? Do you um you know what I didn't know? I didn't know that Wisconsin was north of Illinois. Where did you think Wisconsin was? I don't know. Okay. I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, here's the thing. If I, before I moved to Wisconsin, there wasn't much that I understood either about that area. I always say I'm geographically challenged. But um, now I'm well-versed. Yes, it sits on top of Illinois. And to the west is Minnesota. And to the east is Lake Michigan. So I was, uh, you know, we got the, Rewatchables cold weather tour coming up. I'm, I'm flying out oh, on fun. Wednesday to go to Philadelphia and then to New York. We got the cold weather tour coming up. So I'm looking around in the area, right? I'm getting familiar with the geography up there, the geography. Uh-huh. And I look and I'm like, oh, Wisconsin is, and you went to Marquette, uh-huh. right? So you were in Wisconsin. I'm like, for three years. Cause I'm like, it's, you know, it's like Wisconsin's super cold. And I'm like, where's Wisconsin? And then I look, I'm like, oh shit, Wisconsin's way up there. For some reason, I didn't think it was way up there. I, I would love to know where you thought it was. It's like, thought, let you drive right, it's less than an hour and a half from Chicago. It's the one freeway connects it. I know, but like, so it, above Wisconsin is Canada. I right? think, see, this is where I get geographically challenged. I think a lake. And then Canada, like um, the upper, like a lake. And then it's like upper. I'm going to say this all wrong. Donnie, I, it's Donnie's not can, Canada does not. Con, you cannot drive. I'm almost positive from Wisconsin to Canada. Like Michigan connect. Michigan is above Wisconsin. Michigan yeah, is the above upper peninsula. Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, the upper peninsula is. Thank you. I wasn't that far off. Yeah, the upper so, peninsula so anyway, is right there. Uh, we're going, we're taking you back to Wisconsin in your legal eagle situation. All right, Charlie Kirk, tweet, Charlie Kirk tweeted this. Charlie Kirk. New York City Councilman Youssef Salam, who once took part in the gruesome gang rape of a jogger in Central Park, is now furious that an NYPD officer dared to pull him over for having illegally tinted windows. Salam wasn't even arrested or given a ticket. But after the getting away with a gang rape, he apparently thinks he deserves Jesus. to be completely above the law. What a disgusting pig. Now, if you guys don't know who Yusef Salam is, he is a member of the Exonerated Five who were just that. Exonerated. Of the accusation and the imprisonment that they hmm. got from being falsely accused of the assault of a Central Park jogger back in the day. My question to you is, is this tweet from Charlie Kirk defamatory? I knew you were going to ask me that. Oh, where's Charlie Kirk based? Um, Good question. Charlie Kirk. I have no clue. I mean, okay. We'll just, I, I guess we'll just look at it in general. So let's right, look at where, it's, let's it's look at where tur- so Turning Point USA right now is headquartered Florida? in, no, Phoenix, Arizona. 
So it's in Arizona. So let's say that he's in Arizona. Maybe he's not, but that's where Turning Point is. Arizona. Um, what were the specific things that he said, right? Because you have to know that what you're saying is not true. That's like the big thing. Like okay. you make a false statement. New York City mm-hmm. Councilman Yusef Salam, who once took part in the gruesome gang rape of a jogger in Central Park. What are the chances yeah. that he knows about what happened to the Central Park Five, knows that the exonerated five, knows that Yusuf, Yusef Salam is now a New York City councilman, but doesn't know that Yusef Salam was exonerated and everything in the case was overturned and deemed to not be true, right? What are the yeah. chances that he doesn't know that, but he knows everything else about this Yeah. Guy? No, he knows. Well, no, because he says something at the last part. At the end, he's, what did he say? Got off? Doesn't he say something like that? No, I don't think he does. I think what he says right here is, uh, but after, oh, excuse me, getting away with gang rape. Yes. After getting away with gang, oh, yeah, he does say that. After getting away with gang rape, he apparently thinks he deserves to be completely above the law. What a disgusting pig. Like, you gotta help. Yeah, so he admits is, it. Yeah. He basically mis- knows it didn't happen, but he's he's putting his own spin on it. And instead of saying that he was exonerated, right? They were, it was not true. He's saying that they got off, they got away with it. Right. Um, I think that there's a basis for defamation here. Mm. I mean, he'd have to prove that Charlie Kirk knew that that wasn't true. So we say prove that because you have to say you have to make a false statement and know that that statement was false you have to know that that statement was false right like if which to me everything is there to show that he would he would know right this is a guy who i mean it's it's out there it's so obvious um but you have to prove that the person knew that they were making a false statement and they did it and they said it anyway um in a situation like this, can you say that even though it was vacated, I still think they did it? Would that get you out of, or if you say it's my Maybe. opinion that they did it, and so uh, I can still say that on Twitter if I want to? Maybe. Maybe. But I would just I would just file a lawsuit just because. But actually, I wouldn't. Because if he gets off, then this will just add fuel to the fire for him. But it's... I wouldn't even, I don't know. So you guys. I think a case could be made, but. The the conviction was vacated in 2002. In 2014, New York City paid $41 million to settle a lawsuit brought forth by the exonerated five. $41 million. This is pretty well adjudicated in terms of what went on with these black and brown youths who were uh, just disgustingly wrongfully accused of this and had their lives drugged through the mud. And for Charlie Kirk to bring this back up and hang this jacket back on this man after all of this time and using his platform to vilify him, it is absolutely disgusting. And I hope to God there is a lawsuit. I hope to God there is one. But you know, defamation is like a lot harder than people think it is, right? Yeah, because the statements made, 
You have to prove that the statement was false. Then you have to prove that they communicated it to somebody else, knowing that the, that that defamatory statement was false. And that's the hard part to prove that they knew they were making a false statement. Yeah. Well, you know, just to let you guys, everybody know, Yusef was stopped. And he says that the officer that stopped him did not explain why he was getting a ticket. Um, was down there in Harlem. And the officials from the police are saying that he tried to use his position as a councilman to get out of the ticket. He says, uh, so and people are outraged. Now, you know, mm-hmm. as far as that goes, we've seen that before. That's ho-hum. Either it happened or it didn't. But what I will say is that somebody with that type of platform just weaponizing it and saying things that right. have been adjudicated and you know, you've been exonerated and all of that stuff. And then to hang that jacket back on him like nearly 40 years later is insane. It's insane to me. It's insane. But you never know what's defamatory. You just don't know. It's tough. It's a tough one. Sorry, I was thinking about um, what's the guy's name who was just convicted um, who made the statements about the children that were killed um, in the school shooting, uh, Alex Jones. What was he charged with? Was it defamation? It was defamation. Alex Jones was charged mm-hmm. with defamation. Uh, also, we should say that E. Jean Carroll just won an eighty-three million dollar defamation judgment against Donald yeah. Trump. Uh, he said that the families that Sandy Hook never happened, and that a lot of the families that were involved in Sandy Hook were crisis actors, and he repeated that lie for years. And mm-hmm. years and years. Um, and they hit him with that a billy. Is, that's something that if I'm, I would look towards. If I was, I would look at that case. If I'm Yusuf. If you're Yusuf. Yeah. Uh, you like wanting to buy them. Let me ask you, let's, let's go back to it. I, we should say something. You know, we talked about our relationship with Jesus on the last podcast. A lot of people reached out. You guys, I want to let everybody know I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. Things are okay. Just, you know, I had a little time. You know, you get a little vulnerability sometimes going on the podcast and you want to discuss things. But I'm okay. You know, things mm-hmm. are all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rachel, have you ever said anything on the pod that you, that you regret saying? I, I'm sure I have. Now, can I think of it at this moment? I mean, most of those things, I've, I think I've been able to be like, Donnie Cut. <laughs> I don't, but but I'm sure you don't regret though what you were saying though you were just having a very vulnerable moment yeah. no 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 I don't regret it at all like I was having a very vulnerable moment but I think there are a lot of people that reached out that were like uh, like Vans in dire straits or something like that they're concerned I, I won't let you guys know that uh, that you're that doing I appreciate okay. your concern yeah I'm doing alright I'm doing alright I'm doing alright I'm doing I'm doing fine uh, but yo it, it, it you know we're checking back in on the church Juanita Bonham you know this She's a gospel singer and she's a pastor. And she said some things that people thought were a little phoby. Donnie, run the audio. Brothers, we wearing our pants too tight. Them them little bitty suits is worrying me. Them ones that's high waters is cut all up in here too. So we can count how many you got down there. Something is wrong. Little jackets that's too little look like you just put on little Ray Ray's clothes or something and came to church. I 
I'm not hearing y'all talk to me. To the point even your little dance scare me. The way you shout scare me. Your knees too close to be a man. Oh, I'm not getting nobody to talk to me right now. Maybe I got to look down here on the monitor because let me get, get this tipping when you shout. Open up your legs and shout like a man. Rachel, did you just call for it to be cut off? <laughs> no, I was pointing to that being a topic to talk about. What do, um, what do you think? I mean, at first when she started, I was like, is she going to go there? Is she really? She's she's kind of teetering the line of implying that she's calling out a certain group of people. And then she just goes there all the way. But the more concerning part to me, even more so than her, are all those people yelling in the background, all those people cheering her on, clapping, agreeing with all the things that she's saying that are completely problematic and reiterating stereotypes and maybe a little fear mongering within our own community. And it's wrong. And that's coming from the pulpit. So basically she's saying that she's a vessel from God and Jesus meant to tell, to preach that lesson today while she's basically calling out people in the queer community but all i don't know how big her church is but the cheers are what are getting to me even more so because they're basically agreeing with her well she wouldn't she wouldn't say it necessarily unless she had a mandate right she's not she's probably not going to get up there and reflect morals or values that are not reflected by the constituency inside of a church. But, you know, she's and that's why, yes. And that's why I'm saying it's the problem that I'm hearing all those people screaming and yelling, happy at what she's saying, laughing at what she's saying. I guess the question is knowing the hold and the influence that she has over her flock. Should people like Juanita Bynum and others move to lead these individuals to maybe having different views and opinions about things that are involving people writ large outside of the church? Does, should the church and pastors inside the church be a vessel, a vessel uh, for people to be more understanding of people that they might not agree with or things that they might not think are okay or, um, does the church need to have, does the black church need to have a reckoning with how they talk about and deal with uh, the LGBTQ plus community? Oh, I think so. I mean, if you're supposed, if the message is supposed to be come as you are, or you're supposed to have a Christ-like attitude and you're supposed to be welcoming of people, even that are different, this is what I've always struggled with. How you feel like what, this pe this group of people are doing is wrong. But how do you ever reach them or you reach others who you're trying to bring in if you're constantly not making them feel welcome or bashing them for who they are or telling them how evil and wrong the things that they're doing they, they are? How are you, if you're supposed to go ye therefore and teach to all nations the word of God, how can you do that when you're constantly 
coming at people in that way. I just don't understand that. In one breath, you say this, and in the other breath, you say this. The real problem is this, though, that what the people are doing is not wrong. Yeah, that too. No, that only is not wrong. They were made in the image of God and with the spirit of God, and they were made intentionally, and they were made gay. And I want to be they do, and what they're. And I, I'm not saying that you're saying this, but I'm I didn't just, say this. Like it, it sounds like what I your response. I know you're not saying that, but your response to what I'm saying is going to sound like I okay. don't think that. Yeah. My point is the hypocrisy, right? Right. Obviously, yeah. I don't believe that, but my point is the hypocrisy from the church. That's all. And so, it's time. Can you be a Christian, a member of the Black Christian Church? And be an ally, a proponent, and uh, a friend of the LGBTQ plus community. Can you do that? Can you be a Christian and not look down upon, not think it is evil, or by virtue of being a Christian, is it incumbent upon you to think that the lifestyle of somebody who is gay, lesbian, or trans do you have to believe that that is evil? Is no. that see? I, I don't. I don't know. See, because the, rea- the reality well, there are Christian is, churches that are fully like accepting of the queer community. Mm, I want to talk to some of those churches. I want to get some people on here. Actually, let the, me find. Let me find because I know someone who's queer who went to a church like that in Texas. Let me find. Let me find. I'll find that name. Yeah, because what I want to talk about is you know. Just because we're using this as a whole bunch of other stuff, but like these, you're going to talk to a lot of these individuals and when they're talking this shit, they don't think they're wrong. And they think that the Bible gives them a mandate by which to actually say these things. And they think that you are wrong and that you are helping people go to hell and that all of these different things are actually true. And what we really have to do is talk about why we think it's okay to tell people that they were born flawed and that who they love will send them to an, an eternal bath in flames. I, I, I just always go back and we've talked about it before. Again, you have flawed individuals who are putting these messages out. And I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of people for their own personal gain and benefit. And I always go back to the way that they the, the Bible was weaponized and used to control black people. I always, I go back, I told this story before about how kids at school were anti-interracial marriage and dating because they took a verse in the Bible that said, light and darkness are not supposed to meet up. And I just, just so it's the same. <laughs> you don't remember me saying that before? It's funny. It's funny. What? Yeah. And so it was like interracial couples aren't supposed to exist when that's not the interpretation or the meaning of it. I think that same thing is done with to the queer community and I'm not for it. So I think you can be both. I think you said you should be both. Donnie, play the audio I just dropped in the chat. Wait, give me a minute. Give me a minute. Uh, let me, I'm, I'm thinking that. Let me think of somebody else can move a needle, move the needle. Um Ah, I got no it. one. Beyonce. If 
hypothetically speaking, if if she went with Jay Z and I'm not Travis Kelsey, let's say um <laughs> Yeah, Beyonce. Beyonce. She can not move like this. She... Not like this. These these, these yeah. eyes, these eye Ocho, these eight the fifteen year old eyeballs. Ocho, she the same, the same. Nah, he has the Ocho, same, that same, that same feeling. Ocho, yes. I love Beyonce. Beyonce ain't moving the needle like this chick, Ocho. No, what? you no, tripping. you tripping, Ocho. This girl, this ask the chat. She's the closest who, thing. The she's the closest thing to moving the needle like Michael Jackson that we've seen. This is it. Whoa, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Reel it back in a little bit, baby. Reel it back in a little bit. Beyonce moves the needle just like Taylor, if not no, more. No, she doesn't. Ask the chat, please. Ask the chat. Ask, Ask the, the chat. chat, please. We put it to the chat. So make, do, do a poll. <coughs> do a poll. Because Beyonce has those same set of eyes, young, old, middle age, and old, in, including the eye. But I'm just saying. Not if like the, Taylor. If, hypothetically hypothetically not speaking. Not like Taylor. Beyonce would move the needle the same Not way like Taylor, Taylor doing. So some people are saying that uh, oh, Unky mm. Unk, Shannon Sharp doesn't understand the power of Beyonce. Our friend Nina Parker said it. Do you think that he's wrong in what he's saying? What did Nina say? That's what Nina said. Let's look at our oh, that's friend what Nina, Nina. said. Um, yeah, he's absolutely wrong because they're in two separate situations. He's comparing Taylor Swift with Travis Kelsey. When Beyonce is married to Jay-Z, if Beyonce and Jay-Z weren't together and Beyonce started de- dating Kevin Durant, I'm just, you, you use another person who appears to be single. Um, people would be documenting her like crazy on whether she was in a suite, whether she was on the sidelines, whether like it would be talked about nonstop. It would be a huge deal that this huge artist is dating one of the best players in the league. She just doesn't have this. She doesn't have the same opportunity. I'm not taking anything away from Taylor Swift, but to deny that of Beyonce, and I know people are probably shocked to hear me say that about Beyonce, but to deny that of her just because they're in different situations is ridiculous. Shannon Sharp, this is ridiculous. This is a bad so, take. So let's put let's put it in the NFL. All right, in the NFL, if she started dating, think about a Travis Kelsey like play. So Beyonce and Lamar Jackson, let's say going to go crazy. So would Lamar Jackson and Beyonce be as big, bigger, or not as big of an NFL couple as Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey? Lamar Jackson and Beyonce. What do you think? I want everybody on this one. What do you guys think? You know why I want to say it's bigger? Because Taylor, like Taylor, when Taylor comes, she's just like wearing the sweater. She's just like comfortable. um, Just a fan watching the game, dressed in regular clothes. I feel like if Beyonce came to these games, like there would be a wind machine behind her. Not literally, but I'm just saying she would be in all her Beyonce glory and it would just be bigger. So It'd be a bigger deal. Right. It'd be a bigger deal. Is it? Because here's my thing. There's no doubt about the fact that, like, Taylor Swift is a bigger deal than Beyonce, right? And let me tell you what I mean by bigger deal. I don't mean Go, bigger. Yeah, do that part. Okay, so I don't mean the bigger deal in terms of, like, cultural importance. Because there's two different things that you argue. When we're talking about people, we're really talking about how important they are culturally. Right? 
And then when you're talking about how important somebody is culturally, you you talk about impact, you talk about walls that they broke down, you talk about all kinds of things. When you think about stuff that Beyonce did, like even the surprise release, that I'm just dropping on Friday joint. But like Beyonce has innovated so many different things. She's changed music and culture so many different ways that she's incredibly important to a lot of mm-hmm. people, right? Mm-hmm. Taylor Swift is white. That's a white woman, okay? Taylor Swift is a white woman. And because she is a white woman, that means that songs that she could put out have the opportunity to touch such a larger audience because she a white woman than Beyonce. Like, Beyonce has a lot of white women who love her. A lot. Huge amount of white women that love her. But at the same time, Taylor Swift is the whitest of the white. And with that whiteness comes uh, an access to a population that's just, here in stateside at least, that's just vastly larger. And her pop music sensibility vastly larger than a Beyonce. So to say that the Eras tour made more money or to say that her movie made more money, to just identify that Taylor Swift has a bigger overall saturation numbers-wise than Beyonce is not very controversial to me. But to say that people care more mm-hmm. about Taylor Swift than they care about Beyonce, to me, is a different question. And it's a question, you know, Michael Jackson is an outlier. Like, Taylor Swift and Beyonce together don't equal what Michael Jackson was. You could add Taylor Swift, Beyonce together and then probably throw somebody else in there and they're still not Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson was... Somebody completely different, watched them grow up, a, a time of the monoculture, the whole thing. So I wonder, I guess, I guess I wonder what Shannon is trying to say. And I wonder about the Lamar Jackson couple thing. I wonder if the if the NFL would be making the same deal of it. I wonder if Beyonce was dating a Lamar Jackson, if the NFL would go as further, because the NFL is thinking about raw numbers when they're thinking about this. They're not thinking about making the NFL cool. They're thinking about how many white woman they can get to watch the NFL now that uh, Taylor Swift is involved. Yeah, it's it's not just whether or not they would continue to show a Beyonce. It's that when Taylor first came, the reaction that they got, the increase in jersey sales, the the atten- the amount of attention on social media and all the entertainment articles where now there's an even bigger crossover with sports and entertainment. If the fa- and that comes from the Swifties. If the Beehive responds in that same way, then the NFL is going to give just as much attention <laughs> because it's all going to be about money at the end of the day. And Taylor Swift has brought a new audience into watching these games, and now they're all going to be watching the Super Bowl. Taylor Swift has two hundred and seventy-nine million Instagram followers. How many do you think Beyonce has? Make a guess. How many does Taylor have? 279 million Instagram followers Taylor Swift has. Uh, Beyonce probably has 200. Beyonce has 319 million <laughs> Instagram followers. 319 Instagram followers. She's following one person on Instagram. Who do you think she's following? Herself. Wrong. Oh, her her brand. 
wrong. Does Jay-Z have an Instagram? He ha- he does. Jay-Z has an Instagram, an official Instagram. He has one post. And that <laughs> post is a trailer for the Book of Clarence right now. He follows one person. That person is Beyonce. Jay-Z has 623,000 people following his Instagram. It's probably because he never posts anything. I didn't I, know he had an Instagram. Uh, so I have 585. You have what? You have more than Jay-Z. We coming for this nigga. I already came for him. I have more. Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Christ. Rachel, you are unhinged today. No, that's Nicki Minaj. Rachel, you're you're unhinged today. My Lord. Jesus Christ. That's a breakout. I demand that be broken out. No. Donnie, no. I, Donnie, I demand that My situation that be does out. not al- allow I for that kind of those kind of breakouts. Be broken out. <laughs> I demand it. All right, we gotta go. Uh before I go, Rachel, check in. How are you? How are things? I'm okay. I've been, I mean, you know, sh- stronger every day. I um, but I still have moments. It's such a roller coaster. I uh was in Aspen with the girls, which I podcasted from, and I, did I say I went skiing for the first time? Did I say oh, that? You, oh, let's talk about this. You went skiing for the first time. I've never been skiing. I've just have been against it. It's never been appealing to me. I think it's terrifying. And the last minute, my girl, I let my girls talk me into it. I decided to book a private lesson where I could be taught. Never put on skis before anything. It was the most, I was surprisingly good at it for the first time. To the point where we not only left the bunny slopes, we went down the mountain and we were only oh, supposed shit. to go halfway and I went all the way down. Wow. So there's levels like black is the hardest or like a double black. And then there's blue, like the most challenging one. And then um, black, black is, and then green is the light one. And I went down a green. I went all the way down. And I was very proud of myself. And it was a very liberating experience. What is this, Donnie? Donnie, Donnie put something in the chat. <laughs> Donnie, play this. So it works more visually than yeah, audible. That's, that's not work. <laughs> but it's a bunch of black skiers making white people uncomfortable on the slopes oh rachel that was you that was me there weren't a lot of us there were not a lot of us x games was going on too right next to us so that was a pretty cool experience to see all them in all their glory while i'm just trying to make it down the mountain but it was a very liberating experience now i'm in naples florida hanging out with some friends and um it's been nice to get away change the scenery cold to hot be back home soon. So yeah, I'm okay. Mm, I'm okay. There you go. All right, I have to go to uh, Philly. So we'll see what kind of today. I'm a, I'm a, nah, I'm gonna go. It's, a, it's on Wednesday. I have to go out to Philly. So I gotta, I gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta go buy like a puffer jacket, Abrex type of situation. Shout out to all my Johns. My How bulls, cold is my it? Bulls. I don't fucking know. It's gonna be colder. I feel than like I it's like not it that cold. Oh, it's gonna be colder than I like. Philly. Mm-hmm. We Philly. You welcome to come test us. What's your favorite Philly rap song of all time? I don't know. Parents just don't understand. Okay, we got to go. Uh, <laughs> tell you things, jumps off, but do not stop learning. I am the number one voice in pro wrestling media. 
Upside Van, down. That's right. Get it right. Van <laughs> Lathan Jr. I, oh, okay. Uh, congr- kudos for holding up that belt over your shoulder the entire podcast. I am just Rachel. Just Rachel and Lindsay. Bye, guys. Fan. Donnie, take a steal. Ha <laughs> ha!